Hey, everybody. Welcome. Tux Weekend starts now. Carathon every time. <laughs> hey. I'm a, I've got a pretty open schedule. Um, <laughs> Father Brian is here today, and uh, would you like to start us in prayer, please? Absolutely. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the gift of life. Uh, we thank you for putting us on uh, this beautiful earth that you have created and allowed us to be on. We thank you uh, for your son whom you sent to redeem us uh, because of the fall of Adam and Eve and how we still fall in our own lives, in our own personal lives. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit which empowers us uh, with the, through the sacraments and in our daily lives as, as we uh, pray for the grace to to endure and to persevere uh, through this life, to strive to imitate you in all that we do. And we pray uh, with this time together, as we all are here together in this time, as we listen, as Tucker and I are here, uh, we pray that you inspire us to to speak to the hearts of those that listen, and that uh, that it may be fruitful for them, and that they may also grow closer to our Lord. And we lift these things to our Blessed Mother, as we say, to our Lord, through our Blessed Mother, as we say, Hail Mary. Full of, of grace, grace, the Lord, Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Father Brian Logger, um, I didn't. I still don't know a whole lot about you, so I'm looking forward to this, to okay. learning a little bit more. But I was like, oh, man, this guy probably likes beer. Um, <laughs> I hope he does because I like beer. So I, I was told that the name lager actually means dark hole because when they make a lager beer, apparently they have to throw it in a dark place. It's a cooler uh, brewing temperature. Yeah. And okay. so, yeah, that's probably where it came from. It was okay. back in the day before they had refrigeration sure. to drop the temperature. Makes sense. So my name is Brian Dark Hole. Got it. Makes sense. <laughs> the spontaneous prayer. Um, I've asked this to anybody that I asked to open prayer, but uh, I, I, I'm frustrated that non-Catholics are better at it than we are as Catholics. And I noticed that um, whenever we're at family get-togethers or something with non-Catholics, sure. and I'm like, hey, can you say a prayer? And they do and they knock it out of the park. And most of the time Catholics are like, uh, uh, our father, who are, you know, it's just sure. this rote prayer. And so I, I was like, I don't want that to be me. I'm going to go practice. Yeah. I'm going to, if somebody asks me to pray, I want to be able to pull, pull something good out of my pocket. So does that become easier with time? Do you, was it something that you struggled to be good at? So I'm same way as, same way as you, just like I didn't grow up with it. It was, uh, we were very much, uh, Hail Mary's, our father's. Uh, you know, when we had a list of prayers, uh, I didn't have Catholic school. I went to CCD growing up uh, on Wednesday evenings. And, uh, and so we learned, you know, all kinds of t- prayers, many of which I've forgotten now, uh, but beautiful prayers that, that people wrote uh, for us. The act of faith, the act of hope, the act of charity. Some people have probably never even heard of those, uh, but they're beautiful prayers that we can pray. I don't have them memorized anymore, but, but I used to know them. And so it wasn't probably until I got to college um, that uh, that I saw more and more people doing spontaneous prayer, and uh, and so for me I was just like, I don't know. It, it, I, I think spontaneous prayer is prayer of the heart, and it's and it, and it's just, it just wells up from within us, and it's not. Uh, um, I, I think because we come from a liturgical tradition, we think prayer has to be so formal, as as Catholics, and so I think what we also need to realize is that prayer is is 
is that. It's just openness of our heart, and it's just a conversation with God. And so it's just, uh, you know, the the four things of prayer, uh, praise, um, or it's adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication. And, and if we just you know, do that in our in our prayer and in our spontaneous prayer. We kind of fulfill what prayer is, and and it's just speaking what's on our heart. It it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be great. It can be as simple as, I love you, Lord, uh, just like we would with a friend, or just we would, like you would with a spouse, or it's it's purely just conversation. And so, do I struggle with it? Uh, I still do struggle <laughs> as a, even as a priest. I'm very much. I really just like to do the book stuff. Uh, but uh, but when people ask to pray, it's really just, okay, this is what's been on my heart. This is kind of what just is flowing out of me. And um, and so it's not anything formal. It's not anything that I've taken time to practice and do. Um, it's just um, it's just the realization that God wants to be a part of our everyday life. And so even our normal conversations can be brought to him. And so just offering even a conversation to him or just a monologue sometimes to him. Sometimes that's what prayer is. Um, uh, and hopefully we listen so it becomes a dialogue. But uh, but in that spontaneous prayer, it's just, is it a struggle? Yes. Um, Catholics aren't, we don't normally do it. Uh, but it. But it's a good thing to start to do to try and have that conversation with God. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, I think it's, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. If if I can't do it the right way, I don't want to do it. And I, I mean, I was guilty of that. Like with my rosaries, I wanted to learn all the mysteries. I wanted to learn all the little in-between prayers. I wanted to make sure I was doing it yeah. absolutely right. And because of that, I just procrastinated in just doing the thing. Right. You know, and so I think that trips a lot of people up and it's like, just just start doing it. And right. then you can catch up on the the right way or yeah. the you know correct way. And I think a great way to start doing that is as Catholics we have the uh, beautiful uh, sacrament of the Eucharist and, and so just making visits to the Blessed Sacrament and just stopping in at the church and, and just saying a quick spontaneous prayer. It doesn't have to be Hail Mary or now Father or something like that. But just stopping in and saying Lord I just want to take a moment to spend some time with you. Um, here I am. <laughs> you know something even as simple as that. Um, it's And it's not uh, it's not a Aren't you lucky, Lord? Here I am. It's a. It's a. I just want to be with you uh, in this moment right here, right now. We're going to talk more about that here a little later, but we're going to rewind quite a bit. Okay. Um, did you have a nickname in high school? <laughs> I did not. Most people uh, called me by my last name. I think that's a thing. Most guys uh, just get called by the last name. And so sure. when when I get around my brothers, it happened with all my brothers as well, and we were all, "Hey, logger," and then we all turn our heads like. We're here, <laughs> but uh, but no, no nickname. All right, I'm kind of get getting ahead of myself a little bit, but um, that uh, you're your father, Brian. But for short, you're like, hey, father, mm-hmm. and the same could be true. You know, you're standing with three other priests, and somebody goes, hey, father, and you all right. turn around. You know, was that hard to get used to? Oh, um, absolutely, yeah. And so when we were in seminary, we wore our blacks, what we call clerics. And, uh, and so that was when we went to seminary, we started wearing them right away. We didn't wear them out in public too much unless we were going from one place to another. And, uh, and it was just more convenient to wear them instead of changing out. And so even like getting, even back then for the first time, hearing someone say, Father, uh, it was just like, whoa, that's, you know, that's, that's a big deal. Um, and, uh, and then having uh, your grandma and grandpa call you Father and then your mom and dad <laughs> call you father, and your brothers who've always 
you know, you've wrestled with forever, uh, call you father. It's, it's very different. Where are you in the lineup? How many siblings do you have? Sure. I have two sisters and, and four brothers. Oh, wow. So uh, my sisters are the oldest, and I have an older brother and three younger brothers. So I'm right in the middle of okay. the seven of us. So Middle child. Yeah, middle child syndrome. It's real. I say of like, <laughs> now, oh, I have three. So, and I noticed that the middle child gets lost oh, uh, yeah. in the shuffle, but a middle child of seven had to have been even, I mean, there, now there's like three middle children. Right, right. Well, I think that the beautiful thing was my two sisters are a year, uh, a year apart. And then my older brother is uh, two years behind uh, my second sister. And so there, it's kind of the way that our family is divided. It's kind of those three. And then there's four years between uh, my older brother and I. And then um, my y- next younger brother, we're two years apart. So really, yeah, you know, we've, we talk about the losing the middle child. But really, w- when you have tons of siblings, you don't feel lost. Sure. And, uh, and you, ha- you have siblings that you play with uh, when, you, when you're growing up. You have siblings that you spend all your time with. And so I am closest uh, my next two younger siblings are the ones that I'm closest with, um, just by order of the way that things went. Uh, my my uh, next younger brother, I was born in 81. My next brother was born in 83, and the next one was born in 88. And so we were the 80s children. And, uh, and so we just spent a lot of time together, and I still love spending a lot of time with them. And uh, it doesn't mean I don't love the rest of my siblings. It's just that we were the closest. We were home together. My older three siblings were kind of out of the house when I when I entered uh, high school, and so they were the ones that went through high high school with me, and and uh, they were the ones that you know we we played sports against each other, played one on one basketball or one on two a lot of times, and uh, and so that's that's why I'm closest to them. So yeah, I joke about being the middle child, but it really I had siblings and. We beat on each other enough that it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a big deal. <laughs> nice. I was born in 87, so I'm okay. right, in, right in there with you guys. That, that works. Um, no, but I, the reason I asked about high school is because I, I heard this story with uh, a buddy that uh, was a freshman when you were a senior, and he's like, what, you're a priest now? I remember being terrified of you from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. and football practice and all that. So I'm curious because I didn't know you back then. But, right, uh, right. That, uh, that I'm assuming I know who you're talking about. And he actually went to a different school. So we weren't together all day long. All right. But, uh, but uh, we, yeah, football practice. He was a freshman. I was a senior. You're always scared of the seniors. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, and I remember the seniors that were the seniors when I was a freshman. I was like, they're bigger than me. They're faster than me. And uh, and seniors typically pick on freshmen anyway. So uh, at least in football practice, you you just want to run them over. You know, it's just sure. a freshman. Um, but uh, I wouldn't say that I was back then. I still to this day, I, I find myself being. I think I'm fairly gentle, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I might be wrong. <laughs> so I didn't know if there was any truth to it or, or what the story was there. But uh, well, I I, I don't brag. I. I was one of the top players on our football team. I was linebacker. I was the leading tackler. Um, I was also one of the fastest. I was second or third fastest on our team. And, uh, and so probably from that, uh, there might have been some fear. And, and uh, I, I think from my sophomore year through my senior year, um, I know my junior and senior year of, of football, I never came out of the game. I played, we played eight-man football, so we had a small team anyway. But I just – I was I was the kicker. I was the long snapper. 
and and so I played linebacker on defense. I was an offensive lineman. So I played every play unless mm-hmm. we were way ahead or way behind. So um, when, when you're a freshman and you see these guys that are out there all the time, there's maybe a little bit of fear, and you see them in practice, and you know that they're gunning for you. You know, <laughs> you know there might be a little bit of fear that <laughs> comes into it. And then and then I graduate, and then he goes through. Uh, and and plays and when he was a senior, I'm sure the freshmen were afraid of him. Sure. So cause he he wasn't a little dude either. By I, any means, it takes a toll on you though, because um, I was the same way. Um, I wasn't your caliber, but small school, your even junior year, senior year, you're playing every down of every yeah. side of the ball, and I just remember after graduating and going like watching football, I'm like, wait, these guys only play defense. That sounds like a vacation. Right, isn't that something? I wish I would have maybe tried (laughs) to walk on or something because that actually sounds like fun. I just got beat down so much. And we weren't that good, and we were small. And so, yeah, it wasn't something that I wanted to continue on. Right. So I I, I played one year in college, and and that was a huge difference going from playing every down to only playing. I was on JV, and, and so we had a few JV games, and you play like, be, and there's so many people on the team that they shuffled people through. And so you, you got in for one series a lot of times for the entire game. And, uh, and by that time, I realized that football wasn't my entire life. And so I kind of gave up on it. And I didn't feel like it was worth going to practice every day and lifting weights every day. <laughs> and, and it was interfering with my social life. <laughs> and, so, and, and also, I just realized that uh, I was, went from being one of the biggest to one of the smallest. And, uh, and I became you know, the guy that everybody picked on again because you're the freshman again. I just realized uh, it wasn't it wasn't as fun as it was, and I realized there's more to life uh, than just that. But I loved it while I did it. Cool. What other sports did you play? So being from a small town, you had to play everything or else you didn't have a team. So basketball uh, and track is what I did also. So in basketball, I wasn't that great, but uh, um, my, my claim to fame that my brothers talk about, we got we went to state my June, junior year, my June, junior or senior year, I can't remember. And uh, we got beat by 40 points at state. Ouch. And, and uh, I scored 11 points, which was like my high, my high of my career. And it was a quarter of our points. So I, I like <laughs> brag about that. And there my, you go. My brother, my brother and I joke about that a lot. Very good. Um, and track, I, I, did, I didn't run. I did a shot put and discus and javelin, and I'd run a hundred if I had to, or something like that. But my brother laughed at me for the hundred because I, I could run a fast forty time, and but I, I couldn't run a full hundred very fast, and so I, I'd win like the first forty yards of the race, <laughs> and, and then, then they and catch I, up to and you, and then they just run right <laughs> past me. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, I'm getting getting a little better picture here. So, <laughs> all right, so let's uh, rewind. You're uh, cradle Catholic. Yeah, absolutely. With seven kids in the family, that's kind of obvious, right? Right. right. Um, when did you first hear the call, and and when did you first sure. start thinking about maybe the priesthood is right sure. for me? Uh, I've got different versions of the story that I tell, but I think uh, I think God calls to us from young ages, and uh, I think when I first was called was when I was in kindergarten, actually, which would have been around 1987. <laughs> so. But we had a kindergarten graduation, and our in our kindergarten kindergarten graduation, uh, we we were asked to draw a picture of what we wanted to be when we grew up, and then we'd stand at the microphone, we'd hold the picture up, and say, "Hey, I want to be whatever uh, when we grew up." And so, um, at my kindergarten graduation, at that time, I uh, stood up and said I wanted to be a priest when I grew up, 
Um, and the funny, the funny part about that story is that I had actually drawn, drawn a whole different picture and I had drawn a picture of me. And I was like, I want to be a firefighter when I grew up until I looked at my neighbor who sat next to me and he drew the same thing. And so I was like, nah, I don't want to be a firefighter anymore. <laughs> so for whatever reason, I turned my paper over and I said, I want to be a priest when I grew up. And so, so, you know, I was six, uh, six years old <clears throat> and that's kind of, I, I would say that's probably when unknowingly, that's probably when God first called me. And when I started giving it a real thought um, in high school, so I have an uncle that's a priest um, as well. Uh, my dad's twin brother is a priest. And so he, w- he would come home. We'd see him every once in a while. He was out in Denver. And when I was in high school, we went on a, re- a discernment retreat with him. And then we attended a Steubenville of the Rockies uh, conference. And and so that was the first kind of discernment retreat I went on. Still really wasn't interested in the priesthood. I really had no idea what I was going to do at that time. I think I was a junior in high school at that time. And, uh, and it was just, well, it's a, it's a conference. Uh, Father John wanted me to come out, me and my brother com- to come out. We went out, and, uh, and, and we went to that conference and uh, uh, just run the retreat. And it was just kind of being out in Colorado with our uncle. It was more of that than it was uh, really discerning. And then I went to Benedictine College, and in college, uh, just formed a group of friends that actually um, were very intentional about discerning and very intentional about uh, prayer and intentional about how we live our life as Catholics. And, and that's when I probably started first giving it a real, an actual real thought of, okay, what am I going to do after college? And the reality of, oh boy, I've got I've to pick a career here. Uh, I'm graduating, you know, in a few years. And and they expect me to have my life somewhat figured out <laughs> to be able to do something. And to interrupt, uh, Benedictine College is here in Kansas. It is. And it's a Catholic college. It's the best Catholic <laughs> <laughs> Of course. That's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when you showed up there as a freshman, what mm-hmm. was your major? Or were you just— uh, Yeah, actually, I didn't plan on staying at Benedictine. I planned on uh, going to K-State after a year or two. And, and actually, I did after a year. And I was planning on majoring in milling science at K-State. And uh, I, I loved everything about the fact that you took wheat and, uh, and all the science that went into it to making flour. And, and, um, and it turned out I'm terrible at math. And uh, <laughs> so I, I went to K-State for a semester after my freshman year. Um, might as well have flunked out. I couldn't do calculus, and I realized I couldn't do the math and chemistry. I could do the experiments in chemistry just fine. Couldn't do the math. And, uh, and so then I went back to Benedictine, and I changed my major to theology at that point because it was when I was at Benedictine, it was the classes that I liked the most, and I had no idea what else I was going to do. So at that time, it was actually religious studies was the major. It's now theology. They've changed the name of it for whatever reason. But, uh, but I loved the classes in there, and it was my freshman year of college. I had a class with Dr. Edward Street, and, and in that class— he was talking through salvation history, is talking about the reasons that we believe the things that we believe as Catholics. And how, I don't even remember the topic he was talking about, um, but it was like a light bulb went on above my head. And it was just like, holy cow, all this stuff that I've been taught my entire life is it's real. It's not just my parents like for cramming something down my throat. It's like, no, this is real. This is legit. This is, this is why Jesus came. This, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And, um, and it became very real to me in that class. And um, so that was my freshman year. I was gone for a semester of my sophomore year. Then I went back to Benedictine, second semester of my uh, sophomore year, and then finished out at Benedictine. And through uh, the religious studies major, the theology major, 
through a fellowship of Catholic University students, which I got involved with. I was in a Bible study with them. And, uh, and just uh, having the good friends that I had uh, to, to be intentional, intentional friendships, to, to really strive for virtue and to strive to live for the glory of God. Um, I began thinking about, okay, what, is, what does God actually want for me? Not what do I want, what does God want? And, and so I, uh, I wasn't interested in the priesthood still. Um, it was still, uh, I want to be married. That's all the only thing I knew. I was like, I want to be married. And, and then <clears throat> when I left uh, college, I worked for, I, then I worked for uh, Focus, Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And in Focus, we're required to pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament for an hour every day. And, uh, and when you're there every day, uh, God gets a hold of your heart and he changes you and transforms you. And, and that's what happened with me uh, to the point of the fact that I was finally willing to give myself over. Uh, my first year in Focus, you're required to go on a dating fast. So it wasn't even a thought to date anybody. It wasn't a thought to pursue a relationship of any sort. Um, and then in my second year, I just uh, devoted myself to prayer and, and just realized, okay, this, this is actually what God wants. And, and so I finally made the decision in the fall of 2005, filled out the application over Thanksgiving break, sent it in, and then um, went to seminary in the, in, um, the fall of 2006. That's, a, that's an abbreviated version. <laughs> so uh, when you first uh, showed up here in Hayes, America, mm-hmm. um, you had a, a meeting for the folks at... Um, the, the ministers at church yeah. for reading, for Eucharistic mm-hmm. ministers, for just anybody who's who's serving yes. at Mass. And one of the quote-unquote requirements, um, or it, was, it wasn't a requirement, it was more of a, a strong hope, suggestion. A hopeful expectation. There you go. Uh, was to spend an hour in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And, a week. Uh, a week. Hour per week, yeah. yeah. And I remember <laughs> at first going, whoa, like that's a that's a tall box to check. At the time, I had already been doing like 30 minutes, 45 minutes. I'm like, oh, I'm going anyway. Just got to go longer. But uh, I did realize something once I started doing that. And um, it's this thing that it bothers me a lot because I listen to a lot of podcasts and the majority of the podcasts I listen to are not uh, Catholic. (laughs) They're um, fitness or they're biohacking. I don't know if you've heard of that word, but it's kind of crazy. Anyway, what drives me crazy is a lot of the recommendations that they're talking about on there, me with a Catholic mind going, yeah, we do that. Yeah, right. we do that. Oh, they recommend fasting? Oh, the, yeah, we do that. Oh, they recommend for your body. <laughs> they recommend meditation? <laughs> you, oh, you mean like sitting in a quiet room praying? I mean, it's like all the same stuff. Yeah. But then they also say you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. But if spending time in front of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament is part of those five people you spend the most time with, your life will probably start to look like maybe he's one of the five of your best friends. I think think to go along with that, as humans, we're imitators by nature, right? There's nothing that we do that is not in imitation. We learn to walk by imitation. We learn to talk by imitation. Uh, We learn to eat by imitation. You know, as as a little child, we're watching our parents to do all of that. And so we're we're, we're meant to be imitators because we're created in the image and likeness of God. 
and being in the image and likeness of God, we imitate him. And so you're exactly right. We imitate those that we are around and those that we put in our presence. And and if Jesus is one of those people that are in our presence and we're spending time in the scriptures, we're spending time with his bride, the church, uh, through the sacraments, through the catechism, we're going to start imitating that which we are steeped in. You know? Yeah, for sure. So um, have you ever... Um, struggled with like ridicule or like been attacked as a priest. I suspect that this has been this is more of a problem like on the coasts sure. uh, here in the heartland. You probably haven't ex- experienced it as much, but no, you know, uh, wearing a collar somewhere you get funny looks. Sure, <laughs> people expect the collar to be in church. They don't expect <laughs> to be at the grocery store or at a movie theater or something like that or a mm-hmm. bar. That's the big one. Yeah. Um, uh, when we go out and we don't go out bar hopping or anything like that. But uh, yeah, the, you know, the one time I've experienced some actual um, animosity was actually walking through the airport in Salt Lake City a few years ago, and I don't I don't remember what the guy said. Um, he, it was just walking and pa- walking past, and it was some reference to uh, the priest scandals, and uh, made some reference, some comment about being an abuser or something like that. Actually, uh, I don't remember the exact words, but that's probably the only time that I've experienced real, you know, ridicule or animosity towards towards the priesthood. Uh, it's interesting. Most times, <clears throat> when you go into public places, airplanes, uh, or uh, airports, or stores, most people actually find it comforting. Sure. Um, more so than than wanting to, you know, ridicule them. Uh, most people are just like, okay, there's some somebody here, and uh, uh, that that actually lives according to what they believe, and and it and it kind of brings some comfort to their lives. So I haven't <clears throat> I haven't really uh, experienced a ton of ridicule ridicule only once or twice. I always find it interesting or. You had to be crazy because very few people are willing to sign on that line or to volunteer on such a, um, I mean, there's no other job or there's no other vocation that has that stigma that the priest scandal gave them. And you voluntarily said, yeah, I think I can do that. I would like to be seen in that light. Right. Did that cross your mind? It actually didn't. <laughs> Until <laughs> and, after the fact. <clears throat> well, you know, the, the scandals first broke out in, what, 2002. And I went to seminary in 2006. Um, so it, it was probably in the back of my mind. But I also knew my experience of priest was not that. And I knew that that wasn't every priest. And and the reality is that it, it's, a, it's a small percentage of, of the priests. It's never right. It's never okay. Uh, but I knew that the priests that I had been around, I had been around some priests I got yelled at in my very first confession, for instance. So I've been around some priests that weren't very kind. Uh, but my experience of priests was uh, they are beautiful people that uh, are very kind and, and generous and, and actually um, desire people's uh, goodness. And, and they may have their personal issues. Uh, it wasn't that. Um, but, uh, but they're humans, and, uh, and, and they're inspiring in a lot of ways. And so that was not, uh, that was not, uh, wasn't really at the forefront of my mind at all. So, and I think it's because I had grown up Catholic and I'd been around priests a decent amount that it just, I knew that that wasn't the common 
mentality of priests. And even in even where I grew up, there was just a great respect for priests, and and uh, and and it wasn't that. So. Yeah, I I didn't have an older brother, and um, growing up, I I would have priests poke fun at me, and like looking back on that, like I could say that they um, were mean to me or something like that. But now I look at them like, oh, that's what big brothers do. That's yeah. what. You know, I didn't have that um, big brother experience of them. Like, big brothers will make fun of you. Oh, yeah. They'll make you cry, you know, and I right. didn't have that. And to have a priest going, you know, why Why is your hair like that? Why right. are you wearing those shoes? You know, kind of making fun of you, but in a in a good-hearted, kind way. Yeah. Is, and, you at, know. and at the same time, you know, giving you a hard time, but at the same time, knowing that you're loved and knowing that, uh, that they'd probably do about anything for you sure. at the same time. So... Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Did you have any personal beliefs that maybe had to be challenged, or you had to like, well, I don't, I don't know if I hundred percent believe that, but I'm gonna have to start believing that if I'm gonna preach it. Um, was there any struggle that you had to flip? No, I guess it goes back to uh, being raised in a good home, <laughs> a good Catholic home. That's good. That uh, that we believed uh, all the truths of the Holy Catholic Church and. And there was never anything that uh, it doesn't mean that I don't have my struggles, you know, my, my personal sins and things like that. Uh, but there's not a teaching of the church that I would say that I struggled with. Um, like I said, because of uh, the good home that I was raised in, and the fact that I went to places that that teach the truth and and teach the church as and teach you how to love the church. Um, I was very blessed in that way to not to not have those challenges. So why is mass so special? Um, sure. We don't call it church. Um, I mean, the church is the building, mm-hmm. um, but there's and even there's a a common knowledge that daily mass will will help you. And daily mass is awesome because it's like yeah. thirty minutes, right? And uh, but. 25 if you go with me. No, <laughs> what, but what happens? It's there? early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> what happens at Mass? Why do we put such importance? Right. So the, the word Mass itself comes from uh, the Latin and the very the dismissal of the Mass. It, it comes from the word at the end of Mass in Latin, we say uh, ite misa est, which means to uh, the Mass is ended. And Mass comes from that. And it comes from the word uh, mission, to go on mission. And so that's, that's first and foremost where, where that word mass comes from. Uh, w- but why is mass so important? We believe that mass is a place where God comes down upon the altar and which he ge- gives himself to us in the Holy Eucharist so that we can consume him, as he tells us in John chapter 6. Uh, he who eats my body and drinks my blood will have life. And, and so we believe that he gives himself, gives his body and his blood to us in what looks like bread and what looks like wine so that we may have the life that he wants to give us. And so Mass is the way in which that happens. And so there, there's two parts of Mass. There's the Liturgy of the Word, and then there's uh, the Liturgy of the Eucharist. And if we go to Acts 2.42, uh, Acts 2.42 says that the uh, apostles devoted themselves to four things, uh, to the teaching of the apostles, the breaking of the bread, um, Oh, I'm forgetting the other two now. I had it. <laughs> There's two more. They're fasting. <laughs> yes, uh, the prayers and the fat. Uh, the prayers and um, yeah. Anyway, fasting. I think prayers and fasting is in there today. And fellowship. That's what it is. 
And so, so what we do in the Mass is we have the readings from the Scriptures, uh, from the Old Testament, the prophecies, um, not just the prophecies, but the patriarchs. You know, we, in three-year time, we'll go through about 70% of the entire Bible. Um, and, uh, and, then, and then the Eucharist is, is actually a representation of the Last Supper with Christ there. And the priest is not just a human being at that point, but he is in persona Christi. He is Christ made present by virtue of his ordination. And so when we talk about the sacrament of holy orders, holy orders is uh, ordering the priest to be in the person of Christ so that they can act as Christ in that moment. And so it's not necessarily Brian who is there at the altar. It's Christ who is there at the altar saying the words, and we have to say the words precisely uh, in order to make the sacrament take place. And so the, the church guards those words and guards the way that we say them so that we know that the, that the sacrament is made present in that moment. So the Mass is important because <clears throat> we have, uh, it, it really fulfills the, the four things that, that the church does, the, the prayers, the fasting, the teaching of the apostles, and the fellowship. It's, it's all there. We pray. Um, we we uh, learn the teaching of the apostles through the homily, through the readings. Uh, we, we break the bread in, in the Eucharist, and we're, we're there together as, as individuals, as a church. You know, the church is not just a building, but it's, it's the individuals that make up the, make up the church. And, and so we come together to fulfill what the apostles did in the very beginning and what has continued for 2,000 years now. And so when we come to Mass, uh, we are receiving, uh, if we are in the state of grace, we receive Christ within us, and then we go on mission to make Christ present in the world. There's a long definition to perfect short um, question. The a lot of these questions. You're the third priest I've had on here, so okay. I've asked them okay. similar questions. And um, but do you have a specific moment in Mass that is your favorite? And I'll, while you're thinking about that, I'll give you my favorite as a as an example. But in one of the Eucharistic prayers. Uh, you say something to the effect that, um, I have it, I think I have it written down here, but like, um, do fall. That's Eucharistic prayer too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I knew you'd knew it. I knew you would know it, but, um, it's like the, um, it's, the, it's at the moment of what we call the epiclesis and the epiclesis is the calling down of the Holy Spirit. It's the beginning of consecration. But what I love about that um, that visualization is that do forms with what's like already there. Mm-hmm. Like do doesn't fall. We call it do fall, but it's like I've never watched do form. I highly doubt very few people have, but it's like it just appears. And I just love that um, even in this little tiny line in the middle of everything that's said at Mass is just this beautiful... Uh, yeah. representation. So I don't know if you have a, a different... Sure. The exact phrase is, uh, make holy therefore these gifts we pray by sending down your spirit upon them like the dewfall. There it is. So I I, th- I, th- I love your definition uh, and the reason that you love that is because uh, when we come to Mass, um, God doesn't save us without us. He doesn't impose his will upon us and say, I'm going to save you and you have nothing, no say in it. We have a... Uh, we have to participate in that. And so we provide the material. In a sense, we provide the bread, we provide the wine in order to make Christ present in that moment um, in, the, in, the, in the Holy Eucharist. And so we provide something in order to make that happen. So like you said with Dewfall, it's the materials that are present uh, that, that make that happen. Now it says the Holy Spirit comes down like the Dewfall. We can't see the 
do fall come down. We can't see the Holy Spirit come down, but we know that the Holy Spirit comes down from what Christ teaches us and from what the church teaches us. And so it's there and um, without really us knowing it. So I love I love the imagery that you bring out there. So my favorite part, I, I love the the first Eucharistic prayer of the Roman canon. And um, and the part about um, it's the longest one. It is. If yes. anybody else doesn't know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it's the it's actually one of the oldest ones too. And that's why that's why I use it on Sundays and holy days. Um, I use the two on um, daily mass uh, because people have to get to work. So except for in Christmas time, uh, I use. Uh, I use one as well. So my, my favorite part of Eucharistic Prayer 1, of course, the consecration. But then we say, In humble prayer we ask you, Almighty God, command that these gifts be borne by the hands of your holy angel to your altar on high in the sight of your divine majesty, so that all of us who through this participation at the altar receive the most holy body and blood of your Son may be filled with every grace and heavenly blessing. So just praying that the angel comes down and takes the little bit of gift that we are um, and takes it before the throne of God, and that it's there before God, just like our guardian angels are before God and with us at the same time. I, just the imagery, and that's amazing. It's funny, Father Ryan said the same yeah. part. And, um, I taught him. No, I'm joking. <laughs> the, um, when, um, oh, who's that priest who's just ordained, who's from Hayes? Father Hamaki. No, um, the older one. He just had surgery. Uh, Father Mike Liker. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to his ordination mass, yeah. and he broke down mm-hmm. crying at that. I'm going to cry now, too, because yeah. just watching it happen was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I know of several priests that have done that, that uh, they removed to tears in, in their first mass. I mean, Father Mike ha- had lots of reasons sure. uh, yeah. to, to weep at that time, not knowing uh, when his ordination was going to happen first off. and. With his health, uh, just knowing that this, who knows what was going to happen, you know. Um, and so it was a beautiful moment. Um, more uh, changes that you made when you came here. Yeah. Uh, I've been going to that church since I started serving there as a fourth grader. You moved the chair, man. <laughs> it's such a little thing. But I'm going... Why, did, why is he moving the chair? Sure. And for those who have no clue, if anybody's listening to this and going, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> so there's a baptismal font, and usually the priest sat next to it. Like I said, I'm I'm 33 years old yeah. since I've been 12, 10 years old maybe serving. Um, so for 23 years, the priest has sat right next to the baptismal font sure. and faced the congregation. <laughs> and uh, Father Brian shows up and moves the chair off to the wall so he gets to hide. <laughs> and we're going, why is he hiding up there? So explain. Sure. Uh, well, there, there's the practical reasons. I didn't like how close I was to the edge to fall off. <laughs> I don't remember. There was one Sunday I, I was giving my homily out in front of the altar, walking back and forth, and I almost fell down the steps. So I don't know if, I don't know if you were at that mass. Um, but uh, the reason I moved the chair was I don't like having my back turned towards the Eucharist. Okay. And, and so the chair was up there by, by the baptismal font, and I wanted to be able to see Jesus in the Eucharist, in, in the tabernacle. Um, and and that's number one. Uh, number two, you actually you actually said the other one. Uh, why uh, why did you move so you couldn't be seen? That's the point. Yeah. Is it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And and this way I can move off to the side and people can 
focus on Jesus and not on me. That was my original theory <clears throat> is because, like I said, I was a server, mm-hmm. and the servers are are dressed nicely so that they're not wearing street clothes, but they're also like stay out of the way, do your job, and help, and don't be seen. Exactly. And yeah. when you see – and it was crazy because – when did you start here? Uh, July of 2019. So in August, um, my wife and I uh, s- celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary, and we went out to Colorado. And we went to Mass there, and they're all standing like you set it up. And I'm like, hey, well, their their church is a little more meant to be that way, yeah. but maybe it's because I've never seen it any other way, but sure. um, it was very much, and they, I think they had a, they had two priests, they had four or five servers, and okay. everybody was against the walls, yeah. facing inward and stuff, and I'm like, okay, like, it's not just crazy Father Brian doing no. whatever he wants, it's... Yeah, no, it's, it's the, the, the tradition has been uh, that the priest kind of does have to get out of the way, mm-hmm. and and that's, that's really my job for, to lead people anyway, is to get out of the way sure. and, and allow them to meet Christ. And and so, yes, the, the priest is in persona Christi, um, but I am still not Christ. Uh, I'm in the person in that moment, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Mass. Uh, um, and so I just, I just want to be out of the way, and I want to be able to see Jesus just as well as you guys. So. Well, I think that's a common misconception, too, is that when you say stuff like, I'm in persona Christi, um, they're like, oh, really? You think you're Jesus? And you're like, no, no, that's just part of my job, what yeah. I do. But yeah. you became a priest because you want to be Jesus. It's yeah. like, I don't know. He had quite the lot in life. Right. I don't hope that doesn't happen to me. That's yeah. a lot of suffering. And and it's good for us to remember that in the sacraments themselves, it's not the priest doing the work. The priest is going, doing the motions and saying the words, but it's Christ doing the work. So Christ works through us in that moment. You're like and, a funnel. Yeah. A, con- know, a conduit, yeah. There you go. Absolutely. We're a conduit of grace, or we're meant to be. Mm-hmm. I like it. And, and it's, why, it's why priests are meant to live lives uh, of, of holiness. It's why they're, um, they're not meant to be like everyone else, in, in the sense that we shouldn't be going and doing everything that everyone else does. There's things that we probably shouldn't do <laughs> because, well, because we are priests. And um, it doesn't mean that we don't have fun. It doesn't mean that we don't you know, do CrossFit. Some of us do and then quit and never go back, but <laughs> it's a whole other story. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if we want to talk about that right now. No, no not, not right now. We can talk about it later. In a minute. Uh, but uh, but we're, we're, meant to, we're meant to be models of the faith, and so we need to be uh, you know, in prayer. We need to be uh, fasting. We need to be doing the things that lead people to Christ and, and not being people that push them away. So that doesn't mean that we... Um, sit in the church all day long. It means that we need to be visible also. And so it's, it's good for us to be out in the public. Um, if, if we're spending most of our day in the office, uh, that's probably not a good place for us um, because people need to see us. Now, there are times when we need to be in the office. We need to be having meetings, need to be doing, uh, uh, leading people through a marriage preparation or leading people through baptismal preparation. There's, there's obviously that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, but the office is not the main place where we need to be. So. What is, so what's your favorite non-religious leisure activity? So You know, I grew up on a dairy farm, so we didn't have leisure, and so I'm not good at leisure. <laughs> <laughs> so, on, but, you know, I, I cook. Uh, I like to cook. And um, I don't do it very often, but when I have time, 
that's what I like to do. So, but I don't, unfortunately, I'm not good at leisure. So I tell people to have leisure. I'm just like, I'm not even very good. <laughs> so. Okay. So what's a non-religious work thing that yeah. you like to do? So on my days off, uh, especially this fall, I went out and helped my dad uh, with harvest. And so I love, it sounds kind of insane, but, uh, but I love sitting in the combine during harvest and uh, you go back and forth, you go around in circles. Or I love sitting in the tractor in the summer when you're, when you're working the ground. Or um, That's what I love to do. It's, 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 it's so abnormal from my daily activities that it's relaxing for me. And for, for farmers, it's not necessarily relaxing because they know that this is their entire living that they're, that they're working on. And for me, it's just like I just love to go out there, shut the radio off, and just watch the world go by as I – go back and forth or go in circles. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's what I like to do. As far as that goes, though, do you have any business interests? Do you have any investments? Do you do any of that stuff? I, I don't follow them on a daily basis, but I have a, a retirement account through Ave Maria Mutual Funds. So <clears throat> I think I was a priest for a year or two. And, um, and so the diocese provides for a portion of our retirement when we – and. Uh, and so w- this is when we leave a parish and we no longer have a parish salary anymore. And so we, we're required to save uh, and, and to provide some of that. And so we were, uh, we were told that it's, it's thirds. A third is Social Security, a third is provided by the diocese, and a third is provided by us. And so, so I do have a retirement account that I put money into every month so that when I retire, which probably will never happen, but... Um, then, uh, then I have something set aside that I can survive on um, outside of that. But I honestly hope to be in a parish. I hope that I, my, my mind is healthy and my legs are healthy and my body is healthy enough that, that I can be in a parish for as long as I can. Not necessarily as pastor, but even just living in a parish and helping out with the sacraments and stuff like that for as long as I can. Yeah, that's, that's my hope. So whatever, whatever God provides. Uh, my grandparents... They all lived into their 90s, so you guys might have to put up with me for a while. <laughs> I think uh, Father Fred was here for 20-some years. He's in Hayes know? for 20-some years, yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're used – and we had the, the Franciscans since right. the 1800s, right. you know. and They founded the church in Ellis County, yeah. Yeah, and so – but that's what I grew up with, and I think that's one of the things that kind of uh, pushed me away from the priesthood was yeah. because I thought they were all – Franciscan, Capuchin Franciscans. And I'm like, I don't know if I can wear the robe. I can know sure. if I can do the vow of poverty. I can, you know, and so uh, it's been a an eye-opener to be right. introduced to, to you guys yeah. as the, is there a reason you didn't go with a, a certain line? Sure. I, ironically, my uncle was the vocations director for the Capuchins when I was discerning. Oh, wow. So I think he got some flack for... <laughs> For that, for me not joining them while he's vocations director, uh, you know, probably my my top uh, list of places that I would have gone was diocesan was always kind of the top. So so for those that don't know, uh, we can join religious orders uh, or we can go as a diocesan priest. Diocesan means you uh, are directly under a bishop, and the bishop uh, determines where you will be assigned. Um, if you go to a religious order, you have a superior. Uh, that uh, that you are under and that you are obedient to, uh, that uh, that determines the apostolate that you will be a part of. So the Capuchins, some of them are in parishes. Uh, those that live in Ellis County know that they take care of Victoria and the surrounding parishes in Hayes, uh, out in out in Denver. They have they have a parish or two, um, 
but the captions also work with the poor. And so they've been instrumental in, in developing these uh, places for the poor in, in Denver. And, and so that's what they do. But for me, my second choice is probably actually the Benedictines. Uh, you know, I went, to, I went to Benedictine College and fell in love with the monks, fell in, lo- fell in love with the life of the monks. And I think the thing that I loved about the monks in, in Atchison was, um, so most, most religious take three vows of poverty, chastity, obedience. Um, Benedictines actually take a fourth of stability, that once they join a place, they don't technically leave unless they're forming a new foundation uh, of a religious order somewhere else. And so I love that aspect of the fact that I know where I will live and I know where I will die. Um, and I grew up on a farm, the same farm in my entire life until I was eight, 19, and then I moved away. And I really haven't been in the same spot for more than you know, three years ever since. And so uh, even even through seminary, you know, we'd move home for the summer or during college, we'd move home for the summer and move somewhere else for the summer. And so uh, when I had my first assignment as a priest, as pastor in Concordia, I was there for three years. That was the longest I had been in one place since I had left home. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm very much... Uh, very much uh, about stability and, and staying in one place. And so it's ironic that that's what I knew, and that's exactly what God has not given me for, for the second half of the 18 years of my life, or 19 years of my life. Yeah. And so the Benedictines, I love that about them. They were also at the college there, and I loved that aspect. They do. They have a parish there in, in Atchison as well. Um, but it was just the, the, the regular prayer times that they had and that, that life together. Um, and, and the simplicity of it, it attracted me to that, and that would have been uh, that would have been where I went if I wasn't a diocesan priest. Are we your third parish as a pastor? Yes. Okay. So, so I was uh, I was ordained in 2012. I was at Saint Mary Queen of the Universe in Salina for my first year as a priest. Then I was made pastor in Concordia. Uh, that actually had four parishes: Concordia, Belleville, Cuban, Munden. I was there for three years, and then I was in, in Plainville and Stockton uh, for three years, and then I came here in 2019. So. Is it weird having—because you basically adjust your schedule to what the parish already does. A lot of times. Pretty much. Yeah, and, and then if I'm here long enough, I'll adjust the parish schedule to what actually works better for me. But I obviously haven't changed a ton here because 6.30 Mass is what works. Sure. So. And I thought I was going to hate 6.30 a.m. Mass. But I've actually grown to love it. <laughs> yeah. If it was five or six, it'd be a little bit of a struggle. It would. Yeah. Six thirty is six thirty is perfect. Just about right. Yeah. Um, do you have any crazy or bizarre like war stories of something that you had to? I mean, obviously you can't say uh, names or anything like that, but uh, any crazy anything bizarre or. I got another one. Like, have you ever experienced a an exorcism or been a part of that? No. Well, every confession is an exorcism. <laughs> so yes, uh, but you know the former rite of exorcism. No, there's exorcists that do that, and they're assigned and by the bishop, uh, and that is not me. Probably, I've never experienced supernatural things happening. Um, but when I was in Concordia, I had a student uh, contact me that they. Uh, had things flying across the room randomly and hitting them. Uh, they didn't know why, uh, and they knew it wasn't a roommate because they were there alone. Um, 
And so I was like, well, that's, that's not normal. And so uh, we, we blessed their room, and it, it solved, solved the problem. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, nothing – I've never seen or experienced anything like that, no. Probably the craziest thing that's ever happened to me is uh, I was cornered in Dylan's in my first year as a priest by this woman. And, uh, and she's just saying, oh, you're so handsome. You're just so handsome. I can't believe you're a priest. I can't believe you gave up having a, having a wife uh, for being a priest. And, and she said, you're, you're kind of a father. What a waste. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before. But, uh, but sometimes a priest will be, will be uh, a priest that's good looking, a handsome priest. Uh, people say, oh, father, what a waste. Because uh, he wastes his good looks on being a priest and not being married. And, you know, um, he made the choice. <laughs> So to, it's kind of an insult <laughs> to say that. It's like, well, I'm sorry that you don't respect <laughs> respect the choice that I made to serve God, sure. you know. And uh, if only ugly people are supposed to be priests, then <laughs> yeah. that's not that's not what God wants, I don't think. Well, and your attractiveness could be attracting people to the faith. Yeah. I mean, how could that be a bad thing? Right, right. But uh, And, and that's kind of, you know... That's kind of the thing about the priesthood, and this is why it's important for us to be out in the community is because when people see us doing, you know, normal things, they realize, oh, they don't live in a high tower by the church and preach from the pulpit just things that I don't care about. You know, they actually are real, and they, they do know what I'm going through, and, or at least uh, we hope that. So, so what, uh, what happened to your beard? You, yeah, awesome. You've got a really good beard going, and then you just got rid of it. Uh, I went on retreat in September, and uh, I came home, and it was driving me nuts. <laughs> so I shaved it off. That's usually my relationship with my beard is I'll stick it out for a time, and then it starts to drive me nuts, and then I shave it off. So, uh, And I've been without for, what, three months now? Yeah. So been clean shaven. So it's, it's kind of a weird deal. Uh, I realize that having a beard is a lot of work. And you really got to take care of it. And wearing black, you get kind of the, I don't know, beard dandruff, I guess you could call it. And it gets all over your shirt. And so you got you to moisturize your beard and you got to you know, wash it with shampoo. And, and, uh, and actually then you got to, when it gets as big as it was, you got you to gotta shape it. And, yeah. um, and it gets to be a lot of work. And so I was, uh, I was ready to be done doing that work. And shaving is a lot of work too. I was going to say. You got to do it every day uh-huh. or else you start to look scraggly again. So. I don't know. I uh, it was time. <laughs> It'll come back someday. <laughs> I just wanted to use it as my segue because uh, CrossFitters usually have beards, and so I'm going. I got this really cool priest. He's got a great beard. He says he used to do CrossFit. Um, when's he going to come back and do CrossFit? Yeah, yeah. So when yeah. you showed up, we had just sold the gym. Yeah, and so I'm like, well. He, he knows I don't have any, like, financial interest right, or right. I just want to get his butt in the gym <laughs> um, because I know it's good for him. He knows it's right, good for him. Right. But I think you told my dad this the other day that I, n- I know how bad it hurts to get in shape and I don't want to have to do that again. <laughs> but, right. like, those are the people that I respect the most are the ones who are like, oh, I've done this before. I'm signing up for more pain because I've – I know, I know how much exactly it's going it to take yeah. to get back there. It, there. There's been two parts of that is uh, it's finding a right time to go. I just need to make time to go. But also just the memories <laughs> of the pain and how much it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think, you know, I didn't mind the lifting and stuff. That wasn't so bad. It was the running uh, mm-hmm. that often happened. And uh, and there's movements that, you know, uh, you know, I know they talk about CrossFit being 
jumping, some of the normal movements that you would do throughout a day. But when you do them hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of times with weights, it's uh, it's not uh, it's not the same. But it, it is it is a goal of mine to. Uh, I, I would not mind coming back and doing it, uh, but I would like to uh, take some pounds off before I head back in because I know what it was like before, um, and having a few pounds off would help. <laughs> well, now's the perfect time to start because uh, with our winters, we, they don't run very often. Right, right. So it's all going to be in the gym. Right. Get to avoid the running. And, right. Um, yes. But, yeah, I, I definitely respect your um, – observation that you you're not making time you you have the time it's just yeah making sure it's it's a matter of yeah and sometimes the schedule is erratic and so it's it's hard to do that and with uh having the campus center as well as saint joe's it uh it makes it a little bit difficult sometimes um other priests that have done it um they didn't have two places like that that were both required a lot of a lot of effort and time so it's it's not a good excuse uh because i schedule my own day and uh and i can schedule time in for that and just say this it's just like my prayer time my prayer time is untouchable um and uh, and so i if if i cared enough about working out then i would make that untouchable too and so um i don't care enough about working out (laughs) it's basically what i say (laughs) that and um i bet you you'd use that uh eucharistic prayer one less because you got to hold your sore arms out longer (laughs) and you're going oh man those things are so shaky i don't let's cut cut the prayers down a little shorter or or your genuflecting knee is going to be like oh man i just did 100 lunges yesterday I remember uh, when I was doing it in Concordia, uh, I would go to mass and, and like my, my pectoral muscles would be so bad. I forget the exercises we had been doing. And it was just like just trying to hold my arms out to say, let us pray or to hold the Eucharist up. I was like, that hurts. My shoulder, we had just done a lot of push press. I was like, I can't even lift my shoulders right now. <laughs> like the push press was heavy and now I can't even lift this tiny host or this this chalice. It's just so painful. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, Thanks for just jabbing me there, Tucker. I appreciate that. It's it's just another <laughs> level of sacrifice, you know. Um, no no big deal. Um, oh, genealogy. Yeah. You just spoke about this, um, I did. and it's weird that I um, I've been thinking about this lately, and and you just brought it up in your homily on Sunday. But um, I I wondered if Joseph would have been slightly famous. Um, in that, um, you read the genealogy and like, here comes Joseph and if his family or his buddies would have been like, Hey man, uh, you're in that line and you just had a son show up out of nowhere. Like that, that's it. (laughs) Or if they would have just been like, you know, the Magi show up and they're like, who are these guys and why are they here? Right. Uh, I think. It's hard to say. I think that's an interesting perspective. The thing to remember is that as genealogies get away from <clears throat> the one individual that kind of starts that genealogy, so the line of David, uh, David had many sons, and so any of the, one of those lines uh, could have gone back to David. And so to say that Joseph is the one um, would be very difficult. And so I think at that time also it would have been 
um, they knew that they knew that it was getting close to the time of the Messiah because they could count the days and the months and the years of the prophecies of Daniel and I think Jeremiah. I think they both have some dating in there, so they knew it would have been getting close, um, and so they were just waiting for the one to step forward and start leading. But uh, but yeah, that'd be an interesting. It's hard to say what what Joseph's buddies would have thought. <laughs> Probably too busy uh, avoiding the Roman soldiers, you know. And surviving. And surviving, yeah. Um, the first time, I wish I would have stopped and said hi, uh, but the first time I met you was at uh, St. Nick's. Okay. I don't know if you remember this. Father Jay was doing Eucharistic Adoration, I think, on, during Lent. Okay. You're in the back saying your rosary. Okay. I hadn't seen a priest say a rosary in a long time. What's your relationship with the rosary? Sure. And then I have a, a specific question about the mysteries. Sure. Uh, this year I, I tried to say a rosary every day uh, this year. Of course I missed a bunch of days, but yeah. um, the first time doing anything, you're going to fail. And so 2021 is right around the corner, <laughs> so I get to try again. But there's something that I um, – just occurred to me and never thought about this, said a lot of rosaries in my life, but only over the past year I've really looked into that. But we'll get to that after. Sure. So I, I try and say a rosary every day, and like you, it doesn't always happen. Um, it's uh, What's my relationship with it? My relationship is uh, that I try to do it. Um, why do I try to do it? Because it's another way in which I can take time to meditate upon the life of Christ. And that's that's the most important thing about the rosary. Uh, the prayers and stuff, yeah, they're important. They're, they're mostly scriptural. Um, but but our, if our goal is to imitate Christ and be imitators of Christ, then we need to spend time meditating upon his life. And that's what the mysteries of the rosary do. So the more that I can do that, uh, the better off that I'm going to be to try and imitate him. Perfect. You segued right into my what I was asking about is if you list out the mysteries in columns, Uh do you notice any correlation horizontally? Because the one that I have correlated is the third mystery of all of them Mm -hmm. has to do with the kingship of Christ. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but Uh, if we go to the joyful, this is birth, uh, and he's born as, and they're saying the the king of the Jews is here, you know, um, Joyful goes to um, luminous. luminous, and it's the proclamation, proclamation of, of the kingdom. kingdom. Yeah. You know, then he's crowned, crowned, and then it's the Eucharist, right? The third or the uh, that would have been the fourth and the luminous. What's the last one? Uh, the Glorious, descent, the scent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles. So it's it basically making making his kingdom into the yeah. new. No, that's interesting. I've the new princes. I, yeah, I've never thought that through. That's a good point, but. Um, now I'm trying to make correlations between all the firsts yeah. and all the seconds and all sure. the fourths, but I can't find them, so I didn't know if, if that's something you'd ever seen. Yeah, it's it's his life, so they're correlated in one way or another. But that's interesting. I never put that together uh, with the third mysteries of each of them. That's a cool point. I have to think about that more. Yeah, something else to think about. Um, so what's uh, – these are kind of rapid-fire questions. Sure. Answers don't have to be quick or anything, but what's one relatively inexpensive experience you think everybody should try at least once? Like, I'd love to go to Rome, but that's pretty expensive. That can get pricey, (laughs) yeah. Um, 
I think there's pilgrimage sites in the United States that you could do for uh, inexpensive uh, means and just going seeing beautiful churches. For instance, our diocese, um, going to Victoria, uh, going out to my little hometown in Angeles, uh, going out to Leoville, uh, DeMar, um, Hanover, uh, some of the beautiful churches off the top of my, you know, Pfeiffer, obviously, and uh, all the little churches around here. Um, I think uh, e- even this year, with it being the year of St. Joseph, I think uh, looking at all the St. Joseph churches that exist in our diocese and, and making a point to uh, hit them up some some point in this year and, and uh, saying some prayers at each, each of those churches would be would be an inexpensive way to, uh, in a sense, go on pilgrimage. Um, there's actually St. John Nepomucene up in uh, Beardsley. Uh, that's a beautiful church also, um, if you really want to take a trip. Uh, but uh, but I think uh, just doing things like that are inexpensive ways to to take trips in a sense to go on, to build your faith. Like we were talking about earlier with kind of the the fitness or the other podcast that I listened to, yeah. uh, goal setting. Do uh-huh. you uh, do like goal setting at the beginning of the year or anything like that? You know, a couple of years ago, I I made a goal to read the Bible and the Catechism in a year, and I did that last year. Uh, so I read through, tall the, order. through through both every day, 15, 20 minutes. And it was an amazing experience uh, for my spiritual and intellectual life. And so I've committed to doing it again this year. I'm about two months behind <laughs> right now. Uh, so, yeah, doing things like that um, or uh, or just committing to uh, more prayer uh, or uh, um, like in, in August, I kind of uh, I was laying in bed out in Colorado getting ready for a wedding. And I was just like. My shirt was fitting really tight, and I was extremely uncomfortable, and I was just like, oh, man, what do I need to do? And I was just like, I turn 40 next year. I was like, I should probably, like, when you hit 40, you know, things get really hard, get harder. Not really hard, but they get harder, losing weight, getting in shape, all that kind of stuff. I was like, I should really commit to this. So in August, I came up with this 40 for 40. I was like, I'm going to lose 40 pounds for my 40th birthday. And so, uh, so just setting little goals like that. Um, I, is what I do every once in a while. Um, it's, it's not something I do at the beginning of, okay, January 1st is coming up. Uh, do I make a new year's resolution? I usually don't. Um, it's just, if I feel struck in my prayer to, to accomplish something, um, if God is moving me in one direction or another, then I try and follow that. How about a, uh, pet peeve? You have anything oh, that so we really want to say this on air? Number one thing, <laughs> or is that where you want to use your pass? I probably have a lot of pet peeves. Uh, I find that uh, as you get older, things annoy you a lot more. <laughs> and uh, I remember in, in seminary, we had some guys that were in their late thirties, uh, early forties, and I just remember looking at them and being like, "I hope I'm never them." And I'm becoming them <laughs> because they're, they're just, you know when you get to a certain age you get stuck in your ways and mm-hmm. you're just like oh, this is this is the way that I do things. Um, Callie, one that sticks out in my mind. I'll have to come back to it because I can't think of anything. I know I have them, but I can't think of them right now. I want to know um, the the coolest gift you've been given because uh, yeah, there's a I don't know. Like you said, we especially in this area, we look up to our priests and stuff. And so sure. I know you probably get a lot of rosaries given to you or, or stuff yeah. like that, but is, uh, is there anything that stands out? So probably the coolest gift that I've ever received, and this is kind of a backwards gift, but in 2014, 
two priest friends of uh, two priest friends of mine from Colorado uh, and I we took our parents to Rome, and just being able to take my parents to Rome was a super cool gift. Yeah, um, and just being with them for that time. So not like somebody giving it to me, but being able to spend that kind of time. Sure. That's and, a gift to yourself. Yeah. And and watching as they'd walk into the churches or walk into these places. And, you know, and and even when I, I went with my brothers one time, too, and just watching their eyes just get huge and just like, whoa, that's awesome. Um, the other fun part about that trip was uh, introducing my, my dad loves ice cream. And he loves cheese and things like that. But he doesn't drink milk, which is funny. He has a dairy. And uh, – but uh, – <clears throat> introduced him to uh, um, ice cream, uh, Italian ice cream, uh, uh, gelato. Um, and uh, every night after that, he's like, all right, when are we getting our gelato? <laughs> and so just, just uh, watching him go and just fall in love with uh, some of the cultural things of, of Italy uh, was also very fun to watch as well. So you mentioned the dairy farm, um, but he also farms – yeah, crops and all that yeah, stuff, Yeah, we too. farm, I don't know, probably like 1,500 acres. So my dad owns 320 acres, and then we farm uh, both my grandpa's land, and that's we rent it from them. So uh, m- my dad's parents are now, uh, they passed away this year, and so that land is in process of transitioning from transitioning ownership. Um, and so I don't for sure know what's going to happen with some of that. Um, some of it's passing to my dad. Some of it is uh, being divided between my dad and his two brothers. And so we're just figuring out what that is. Uh, and then uh, the other land we rent from my, my grandma because my grandpa passed away. My other grandpa passed away. So, um, so yeah, so about 1,500 acres. And then we dad's milking like about 80 cows right now or something like that. So. I was um, still am, I guess, obsessed with uh, milk from the farmer. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. It's illegal. You can do it if you own, if you have partial ownership in a cow. Right. But it's just such a silly and stupid law. Yeah. um, Like many laws are. But um, did you guys um, try to get around it? Or (laughs) I don't, I don't know. I'm not. I don't want to get my dad in trouble. Right. But I'm just, I don't know. It's so frustrating that milk is treated that way. We had neighbors that would drink our milk, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just – I'm curious how I can – how far is it up there? Uh, It's about 80 miles. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Might be worth the drive. Um, But but the way that they get away with it in the the cities is is – People have ownership in a cow, or they mm-hmm. own a, a cow, or something like that. If if one family owned a cow, you know, cows produce can produce up to a hundred pounds of milk a day, and there's eight point six pounds in a gallon. So it is that almost twelve gallons of milk mm-hmm. um, a day. And so if someone's drinking twelve gallons of milk a day, you know, or using twelve gallons of milk a day, that's a lot. Um, but uh, but yeah, ours. Uh, so people have a partial ownership, and they share that ownership, and uh, they really just kind of rent the cow, in a sense, from right. the farmer. And so that then the farmer can actually then sell that milk. So there's some companies in Colorado that do door-to-door delivery of milk, kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, in the old days. Sure. And uh, and that's what that is. It's raw milk that's that's dropped off in their door, and they have to take it inside. Yeah, there's a, a farm down in Hutchison that I've got okay. it from before. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's just whenever I can yeah. get down in that area. And it's funny how, uh, if how cows uh, – Depending on the type of cow it is, the milk actually tastes different. So we have Holstein cows, but Jersey cows have a high butterfat content in their milk for whatever reason. I'm, I don't know the exact reason. Uh, and so it's sweeter, and it just 
tastes different and better. Yeah. <laughs> so, Almost tastes like ice cream. Uh, in some ways, melted. Yeah. Melted ice cream. Yeah. 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 Wow. Sounds good to me. Um, have you ever heard of this uh, not chewing the Eucharist um, out sure. of respect or adoration? Yeah, I've, I've heard I've heard it both ways, and actually I've done it both ways. Um, probably when when I was... Uh, I mean, you have to out of necessity because you got things to do, and yeah. you almost can't. You have to chew it. Uh, so in John chapter 6, the verb that is used to uh, talk about eating the Eucharist and eating the body and blood, uh, the word is, um, uh, I think it's tragere in Greek, or uh, I think is what it is which actually means like gnawing on flesh. And so uh, so there was a time in my life that I was like very specifically, no, we should chew it because that's what John 6 says. And then uh, I've also heard that out of respect, we should just let it melt um, uh, from the spit on our tongue, you know. And so uh, so I've gone both ways. Um, so I think there's a, there's a reverence that, that some will say that, that should go with the fact that we should never chew uh, the Eucharist. But... Uh, I don't know where I stand. <laughs> Do you have any uh, book recommendations um, that maybe you've read multiple times or that you yeah. recommend folks should check out? I think probably my favorite spiritual book is called The Soul of the Apostolate. Phenomenal book that uh, that talks about our call as as Christians, as Catholics, to live out our, our faith life. Um, and if we want to grow in our knowledge, I think anything by Scott Hahn, uh, is is excellent, and he's got a great website, uh, St. Paul Center for uh, Biblical Theology or Studies. I think it's studies. He's got all kinds of books and stuff, and there's actually free resources on there, free audio talks, uh, free Bible studies um, uh, that are that you have to read through. But he's got great resources on there uh, to do. Um, what else? Those are probably uh, my favorite books. Soul of the Apostolate, uh, introduction, if you're one other spiritual books, Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis Sales is incredible. Um, if Yeah, it's good introduction. What else? I don't know. Those are, that's a good start. <laughs> Do you um, have any podcasts or Netflix shows or anything that you're into right now? Yeah, so uh, podcasts, there's a couple that I listen to uh, pretty regularly. There's one called Abiding Together, which is actually for women. Mm -hmm. uh, but Sister Miriam James Heidland and uh, Heather Kim and uh, Michelle uh, Bensinger, I think is her name. They do this podcast, and, and it's it's a beautiful sharing of their lives and what's going on in their lives. And they'll often pick a topic and, and talk about it. And then actually I think it's Heather's husband, Jake Kim, uh, and Dr. Bob Schutz have a podcast called Restoring the Glory. And it's two men. It's, I think it's a, a, a in tandem with Abiding Together. So the, the Abiding Together is for women. Restoring the Glory, I think, is for men. And, and they talk just about um, – right now they're talking about St. Peter. I'm a few episodes behind because I typically only listen when I'm driving because uh, that's when I have the time to do it. Um, but uh, – but they're talking about uh, St. Peter right now. But they've kind of gone through the wounds of the heart um, and, uh, and how we're all wounded in one way or another. Um, but, uh, but how then we can actually enter more into deep relationship with Christ and, and to, through Christ, find healing for our soul and for our hearts so that we can then enter into prayer 
in, in a more real way so that we can be more free and to be more human uh, by being more free. So I think it's a beautiful podcast. Um, so those are two that I listen to. Uh, there's one that I listen to occasionally uh, called Every Knee Shall Bow by Michael Gormley. Uh, Michael Gormley, I love Michael Gormley and uh, and his uh, uh, his ministry that he does. He's from Texas, and he works in a parish, and he does, I think he also does some prison ministry as well. Uh, but he is like a, uh, what is he? he? He works in a parish, and I think he does uh, uh, RCIA and stuff like that in a parish. So he's like a pastoral associate of some sort, mm-hmm. um, not a priest, but uh, he's got a family. So he's he's excellent as well. Uh, for Netflix, I actually signed off of Netflix uh, and probably permanently because of some of the shows that they have on there uh, that are extremely inappropriate and some of the things that they were promoting. And so I just probably won't ever go back to Netflix because of that. Um, I have formed, obviously, our parish offers that for free right now. Um, and uh, and so I, I do some things on there. I, I've been watching the Mandalorian series on, on Disney. There you go. Because <laughs> it's actually really – I actually, this last season was really good, uh, kind of filling out the story of, of who the Mandalorians are. Um, but uh, if you want to watch a good series, The Chosen – I was Father Ryan and I when the pandemic started. We kind of dove into the Chosen, and uh, which is a series about Christ and, and his life, and it just kind of fills in some details. It's it's really someone's prayer in video form. Is the way that I feel about it, because there's a lot of things about it that are biblical, and then there's some extra biblical things like uh, like. Uh, Peter's, they have a lot of scenes with Peter and his wife, and they have a lot of scenes that the Bible doesn't tell you about that could very well be real and legit. We have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talk about Matthew, the tax collector, and and uh, and just the relationships that, that Jesus had with these people. And and I find it very beautiful. And uh, and I think uh, um, it's totally worth everyone's while to watch it. When I when I dove in, I'm very hesitant to watch movies about Jesus. I'm just like, uh, great. What kind of what are they going to push on push mm-hmm. on us with Jesus now? But they weren't trying to push anything. Uh, they followed the Gospels, but then they also filled in details that the Gospels don't relate to us and are very plausible that they could have been legit, you know. So I loved it. Cool. Yeah, I've heard good things about it, and yeah. I need to check it out. Uh, the Star is a, um animated okay, one, um, and it's, it's pretty good. I, lo- I like watching those and going, like, let's see if they miss anything or if they try sure. to put something in there that you're kind of, like, questioning. But sure. They, uh, I don't know. It was, it was yeah. a fun one. Yeah, I'm very critical of movies that are telling the Jesus story. And The Chosen, I was very critical. And I was like, there's very little to be critical about. It's just it's just well done. Cool. Do you have any specific uh, morning rituals that you do every day? Yeah. Every day? Uh, coming to Hayes, I, my morning ritual had to change because we have 630 Mass. So I wake up at 5. Uh, Get ready, uh, start some coffee, go down and unlock the church doors. <laughs> That's my morning ritual. <laughs> and then uh, and then when I get back, uh, the coffee's done, and I drink coffee, and uh, and I pray my breviary. I gave a homily at the beginning of Advent about how uh, I need to get my butt down to the church and pray my breviary in the church. It's like 200 steps. And I did that for about two weeks, and then I realized... I really enjoy drinking coffee with my with my breviary and sitting in my easy chair. <laughs> and so so I went back to it. Sorry folks. <laughs> I I gave up on it. Uh but uh but that's and so I will do that from 
I get open the doors around 5.15 and I'll drink coffee from 5.15 to 5.30 because, you know, we have to fast for an hour before we receive communion. So I try and be done doing that by 5.30 so I'm not breaking the communion fast. Um, I'll pray my breviary. And then if uh, if I'm not behind uh, in my timing, that's when I'll do my Bible and catechism reading. And that usually uh, takes from about 5.40 to a little after 6. And then I'll go down and get ready for Mass. So at 6.30. So that's that's when I have 6.30 Mass. That's That's my morning routine. Uh, and because I've, that's my routine, I'm usually up at five every day now. And so, uh, when I don't have mass and I just re- make sure I get my catechism and Bible done and now I'm two months behind. So you're wondering what's he been doing? Well, I'm addicted to social media like other people. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> that happens <laughs> or I oversleep. That's the other, that's the other thing. Um, oh, he said something in there. I was curious about, uh, but we'll, we'll go to your evening ritual. Do you sure. have anything? That you do. Oh, your brewery too. Yeah. That, how often do you do that? Three times a day? Five times a day. Five times a day. Yeah, we're required to do it five times a day. And that's all priests um, do yes. that five times a day? Uh, if, if you're religious, um, like the Benedictines do it more uh, because that's what they're devoted to is praying. And uh, But for diocesan priests, we're required to do it five times a day. So. I remember what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Um, Adoration Chapel. Um, yeah. We're so fortunate to have that here in town. Absolutely. Can I bring coffee in there? <laughs> because I'm the same way. Man, I would be in there so much more often if I could bring coffee along. But I've never seen anybody else with anything yeah. else in there. And no, I are, don't think are you, it's are right. You, are you in there alone? <laughs> there you go. You got to sign up for your own hour right. so right. you know that nobody else is coming. Right. And I think, uh, yeah, I probably shouldn't say. No. <laughs> I, I think if it's, a, if it's a completely closed container, because people bring water in, right? I don't um, know. I think it's, if it's a closed container. Yeah, I think it's fine. But uh, if you spill it, then the maintenance people will be upset because then they have to clean it up. Sure. That's impressive, though. If if nobody knows what we're talking about, um, the the Eucharist is there to be prayed in front of for 24, 7, 365, unless it's snowing. I've showed up before. It's not snowing enough to cancel school. So I drop my kids off at school and I go to the Adoration Chapel and it's closed. I'm going, no, this is supposed to be open 24-7. But for safety, I understand. Because there's a lot of elderly that go and so you don't want them slipping and falling. And But what's impressive to me about it is there's a bathroom built in. There's, you know, they've thought of everything so that if you are there at 3 a.m. and you're doing your hour at 3 a.m. but you need to use the restroom, you don't even have to leave to do that. It's it's pretty awesome. And and I think uh, they put a lock on the door to, so that, you know, in the middle of the night, there's not uh, strangers come off mm-hmm. interstate uh, and bothering you and causing issues. So yep. I think that was a point of contention for a while when they did that. But uh, I think it's smart to do that sure. as long as people have the code. And I think the code's pretty well it's, known. It's on the glass. Yeah. But you got to know your your uh, yeah. Catholicism <laughs> to get right, in. It's right. pretty cool. <laughs> it's awesome. So, um Evening rituals before yeah. bed. Well, evenings are uh, pretty sporadic. That's when a lot of stuff happens uh, in the parish and at the campus center. So, it all honestly, it all depends. My evening depends on what's going on in the parish and in the campus center. So it's it's always very different. So you know, we talk about how we're supposed to pray the breviary every day, and we should do it at regular times. Unfortunately, though, my breviary gets prayed uh, as I'm right before I'm going to bed. Um, sometimes I'll do. You know, with uh, with my morning ritual, uh, the office of readings and morning prayer get done. 
And then hopefully daytime prayer gets done sometime during the day. Honestly, sometimes though it doesn't happen until right before right before bed. And so uh, so my evening ritual is uh, it all depends on how late I. <laughs> I mean, there's, there, I don't have a set evening ritual, to be honest, just because of uh, scheduling stuff. Sure. So. Do you have any quotes, sayings, mantras, or anything that are kind of a constant in the back of your mind? Yeah. One of my – probably one of the saints that inspired me to become a diocesan priest was St. John Vianney. And there's a, there's a French saying, and hopefully I can get it right, um, is that if, if the priest is a saint – uh, his people will be holy. If a uh, priest is holy, uh, the people will be um, faithful. If the priest is faithful, uh, the people will be lukewarm. Uh, if the priest is lukewarm, uh, the people won't have faith or something like that. And, uh, <clears throat> and I always think about that as, okay, how am I growing in sanctity every day? Because what I do matters. And, uh, and, and if I'm growing in sanctity every day, uh, Hopefully people will follow along with that and also desire holiness and sanctity as well. There's a story I heard on Catholic radio, I think, and he said, you know, if you're ever on a plane and the uh, the oxygen max drop and stuff, yeah. everybody becomes Catholic very quickly. <laughs> um, they're it's all true. making they're all their sign of the cross yeah. if they, and they have no idea what they're doing. But um, if you're getting ready to die, is there a specific prayer that's on your lips? Uh, the act of contrition. I, I think this is why it's important for everyone to have an act of contrition memorized. And uh, uh, because an act of contrition said in true faithfulness uh, can bring about perfect contrition. And perfect contrition is, is what's necessary for us to have uh, eternal life. Um, so many of our contritions are, uh, are imperfect, meaning that we do it out of fear of hell. A perfect contrition is out of love of God. We desire uh, to repent of our sins, and we are remorseful for our sins. Um, whereas imperfect contrition is we do it purely out of fear. And so, uh, so imperfect contrition is enough to have our sins forgiven, uh, but we desire perfect contrition. And so we, a, a, uh, an act of contrition said in faith, uh, said with, with the desire for repentance, uh, can forgive sins in an emergency. That's cool. I got a good story about that because my daughter just did her first yeah. confession. And basically I memorized my act of contrition helping her awesome. memorize hers. Actually, she had it memorized before I did because they did it in school. And I was like, <laughs> I cannot let my seven-year-old show me up here. So um, my last confession, I said it from memory. I was That's pretty awesome. proud of that. That's so, good. Yeah, I like yeah, that. It's, it's one of the things that I see a lot of people not having memorized. I'm just like, oh, this is actually more important than just for confession. Because uh, we don't know when we're going to die, and we don't know it could be in a crazy car accident. So sure. it's important to know that. What's uh, one to two things that people could do over the next week that would have a drastic impact on their lives? 20 minutes of prayer every day. Change your lives forever. Uh, and if you can commit to that uh, every day of your life, uh, that would drastically change everybody's faith. It would change their uh their emotions, it would change in a good way. It would make them a little more stable. It would change their faith. It would change their uh, their interactions with everybody. Uh, 20 minutes devoted to prayer to God um, every day. That sounds like a lot, I suppose, for family members. <laughs> what uh, 
where would you recommend starting with that? Sure. Uh, if you want to strive for that and you don't do any prayer uh, right now, I would start with five minutes. Um, I would say start with uh, Thanksgiving. We had a, our priest and our rector of our seminary, which means the head of our seminary, he always said he did five, min- five minutes of thanks every day. And so if you can start with five minutes of Thanksgiving, because um, what usually happens is after a minute or two, we run out of things uh, for Thanksgiving. And then just spending the last two or three minutes just receiving from our Lord uh, what he wants to give us for that day. So I'd say start with five minutes. Um, my recommendation would be a, even just a decade of the rosary. Yeah. Um, because after, if you can do one, you can start doing five. Yeah. My rosary takes about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. That fills up a good portion of 20 minutes Absolutely. real quickly. Yeah. Um, and even if you can just do one, you'll you'll find yourself holding your rosary going, there's four more here. I got better get them done. <laughs> but that goes back to what I was saying earlier. I like to do things the right way. Sure. Uh, and it, it annoys me to leave my rosary unsaid. But, sure. Um, but but if, if you're just beginning, uh, sure. it's, it's a start. Yeah. Uh, for people that want to dive in and do the whole thing, that's, that's great. Uh, but if you find yourself failing and, and beating yourself up because of it, just start with one. So I, I, think, I think one of the things that we do damage to ourselves uh, is beating ourselves up too much. Um, there, there's, the, there's the reality of, yeah, we need to be repentant of our sins, and we go to confession, and we have that, and we desire that repentance. Um, St. Teresa says, I, f- I think it's St. Teresa of Avila says, the only time that we should ever recall our past sins is to give thanks and praise to God for his mercy. And, uh, and, and so I think any time that we dwell on our past or we dwell on our sins, our past sins, then we're not doing any good for ourselves. And if we keep dwelling on our, on our faults, um, then, uh, then we're going to beat ourselves up and kind of cause more damage to, to ourselves. But if we can just say, no, I'm going to commit to this, and then um, if we fail, just get back on the boat and just, just keep doing it and, and getting back to it instead of, oh, I failed, and then what happened? We beat ourselves up and we keep failing. So, Yeah. Um, people can find you on Facebook. They can. What are, anything else you want to add? I've got one more question before we sign sure. off here. Uh, we had a priest when I was at, in college at Benedictine. He would always say, keep the faith, keep the faith. <laughs> That's what he always said. Um, and, and I think it's true. I, I found myself over the last months, uh, probably since the pandemic started, to be um, less, less, hard on, less hard on people. I, I tend to be judgmental. And, and I know that's not good. Uh, but, I, but I find myself uh, getting to that point where it's just like people, are, people struggle. People are very hard on themselves. And, and if people are hard on themselves, uh, there's no reason for me to be hard on them either. And, um, and sometimes people do know better. But uh, I realize that I, I'm a sinner as well. And when I look at my sins and the sins I keep going back to confession for, it's just like it's the same thing for them. So why can't I be as merciful for them as I am for me? Um, and, uh, and so just being kind and gracious to one another uh, during this time of, of pandemic, uh, during this time of uncertainty, uh, a, a greater amount of love to one another is, is what we need right now, not judgment and not, uh, uh, not beating each other up over one thing or another, but just and, and the kind of love that, that actually transforms lives, the, the kind of love that Christ had for us, which was dying on the cross. That's what we need during this time. I don't, I didn't really, I don't like to talk about COVID. Sure. Um, 
I'd like to just throw it under the rug and hopefully we can forget about it. But I agree. You had it and I you did. survived it. I did. But you also told, I think you told my wife that, that it's probably from the devil. I, I do. I, I think, I, I think, uh, it caused a lot of spiritual distress and, 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 uh, um, and if you look at the way that people are treating each other because of it, um, if, if it itself is, is not from the devil, the results definitely are because uh, people are very unkind to each other right now. I mean, it's, it's terrible what, what is going on out there and, uh, and what one, some people believe about how to deal with it, what others believe it, it's just like, can, can, we, just, can we just love each other? And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's um, the reactions to, uh, to it are probably sending people to hell in a lot of ways because they just uh they just can't love uh, during this time and it's yeah yeah that's pretty bold st- <laughs> statement <laughs> but yeah i i was reading something from another priest who kind of said the same thing uh he he also had it and uh he said it's uh the responses you get from it um just people are extremely unkind to each other and lacking in charity uh, during these times. And that's what it's required of us to get into heaven is uh, perfect charity. And so that's what we need to strive for. Anything else you want to add? I got one, that final question. Oh, I'm ready. What's the final question? What do you want your personal legacy to be? Uh, I joke uh, that I want to be buried under the altar in my home parish in Angeles so that I can, like, uh, so the parish of Angeles can be saved so people will move there and want, <laughs> want to go on pilgrimage. Uh, I actually, in some ways, want to not be remembered at all. And what I want people to know uh, and want, pe- want people to have is, is a faith in Jesus Christ that runs deep and, uh, and that they can give their entire life to him. And so, and so if I can get out of the way and allow that to happen and, uh, but, and get out of the way in the sense of lead people to him and then let him work in their lives, that's what I want. Um, so that I am forgotten and he is known. Does that make sense? I love it. Yeah. It actually reminds me of a quote from a movie. I think Brad Pitt was in it. Um, from when the Roman era, I think he was uh, playing Achilles. Okay. And they're like, they'll never remember your name if you're not bold or strong or something. And But I think the opposite is true, is, is if you do guide people to Christ, yeah. you, you'll be remembered even though you're trying not to be. Right. St. John the Baptist, right? I must decrease so that he may yeah. increase. And the more that we get out of the way, the more that we decrease and allow Christ to work in us, he increases and brings other people to know him. Do you have any tattoos? I don't. I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was curious. I, uh, I know a lot of people are, are tattoo fans. I'm not a fan of tattoos. Um, for one reason or another. I just don't. I think, uh, number one, we all get old, and the tattoos are not what they yeah. are not what they are when we get older. <laughs> and uh, and, and I, think, I think God creates our body in a way that uh, it's beautiful already. And, uh, and so I think, yeah. I, I don't, if people want to get a tattoo, that's fine. I don't, I don't judge them for that, um, unless it's something satanic <laughs> or something. Sure. But, um, yeah, but I know lots of people that have tattoos. So, Very good. It's becoming very popular, actually. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tucker. I sure right. appreciate it.